0: This is Ditch Diggers episode 12, season 7, I think. Yeah, that sounds good. Episode 12. And ain't
1: no wannabes here With some not-so-nice advice For your writing career, to be clear No punches will be pulled, but the punch may be spike How they like before they get on the mic To my left, we got the mighty Mer
0: Lafferty And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace on the right Yes, she may be half as hype as she can take him in a fight So settle in, folks,
1: buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting Will still be there when you're done writing. Ditch Diggers!
0: Ditch Diggers! My name is Mer Lafferty, and I, on this show with my good friend Matt Wallace, often cover business issues in writing. Not necessarily craft and not necessarily emotional issues, which we do on my other show, I Should Be Writing. Unfortunately, Matt is missing. He hasn't been here for a while. He still sends me a proof of life on occasion, but I do have some good friends from the writing world to fill in for him. Um, You know, sometimes he sends a text. Sometimes he sends a picture of a knife. Sometimes he sends a picture of food. One time I got a recipe. I think he's alive, but he's just not here. So, I am thrilled today to have an old friend of mine, Margaret Dunlap, to join us. Margaret, how are you today? I am doing pretty well. How are you? I am good. Uh, if the usual folks can assure that you can hear both of us, because I seem to have had my issues in the past. Um, and so, Margaret and I met in... Was it 13? Whenever Book Burners came out.
1: Yeah, which it's been a minute. So yeah. somewhere around 2013 anyway.
0: Yeah, we were thrown together on the um, Book Burners team, which was the very first cereal box project, which is now, is it—is the name change public? Yes. Okay, now called Realms, I think. Anyway, uh, and we got thrown into a group of... We were a motley crew of we, we very different writers to put together this new project. And Margaret taught me so much because Margaret was coming from a TV background, not a prose writing background. And we had Brian there who came from us from a literary background, not science fiction fantasy. And I was there as sort of the humor writer and Max Gladstone was the boss. So, um... <laughs> Yeah, we all felt a little strange, but it it gelled really well, and I did not know that. You know, when your first time is perfect, you don't know it's perfect until you hear other people talk about how terrible things can get. Apparently, we had a close to perfect writer's room, but um, we
1: really did. Yeah, and then what? we added Andrea and made it more perfecter.
0: Why is my coffee see through? It's not green. That is weird. I don't know sorry um oh matt is alive i got a note that says sushi ice cream and beer i'm worried sushi he might, beer and ice cream <laughs> i'm worried he might have meant to send that to his wife or something or or <laughs> whoever's uh yeah but yes no, Matt's it's still a, alive
1: it's a callback to the last time i did the podcast the prize for finishing a draft or uh the nice thing i always do for myself is sushi beer and ice cream because Holy it's scalable
0: shit. The fact that he remembers that and the fact that you remember that makes me feel very bad about myself. Well, will I I, still get sushi, beer and ice cream whenever I finish something? I I completely forgot. That's what you did. But Matt clearly remembers. So I'm a little embarrassed. So um, saying Matt and I go on.
1: I say Matt and I, being somewhat local to each other, we've also consumed sushi together, so That's that may have helped right. him to remember. Yes.
0: Okay, so he's not—he's not thinking only back to that uh, show. He's thinking of my friend Margaret, who I see in person. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I feel a little bit better now. In the <laughs> chat, we have a bot that I broke yesterday. You're—you're you're welcome, everybody. So the—the the, uh, mistakes will be coming from the evil Murbot and not Nightbot this time. Nightbot might still try to throw in some errors, but, uh, so I apologize for whatever evil Merbot says in the chat. It's not even like clever mistakes. It's just going to not work. <laughs> yeah. So, oh yeah. Check out the amazing streamer Target name over at Target URL. They recently played Target game. It's going great guys. It really is. Anyway, Numbers Ninja is here as our moderator. Catabri is here. Um. Hey, Cheryl. Hey, Collectonian. Tree Lobster was, would like sushi beer and ice cream. Um. Thank you, everyone, who let me know that the audio is good. And uh, the Kids Are Asleep is here, who I wanted to do a shout-out, but, you know, you can just click on her name and follow her that way because she does a lot of Bioware streaming and... uh at like nine o'clock Eastern time, which is, I think, hence the name. I've never actually asked her, but I tried to put it together that the kids are asleep streams at 9 p.m. So anyway, um, so Margaret, I don't even know all of your credits. I know you've worked on Eureka, Mm -hmm. The Middleman, The Dark Crystal, the Barbie animated series.
1: Yes, uh, there are about fifteen Barbie animated series, I think, and oh, wow. I worked on uh, Barbie Dreamhouse Adventures and Barbie Team Roberts Go, both okay.
0: uh, of which are available on Netflix. Excellent. Yeah. Um. So what what am I missing? What What are you? What What can you talk about that you've worked on?
1: Yeah, let's see. There are a couple of things I've worked on that still have not been released yet due to the fact that I've been doing more animation recently and they have a longer production schedule right. that while while not stopped as, uh, as dead in its tracks as a lot of live action production was by uh, this past uh, year in the pandemic, Yeah. Uh, it did slow things down for a while as everyone figured out their new uh, their work modes. Uh, But also I wrote for uh, Marvel Animation for uh, Marvel Rising Heart of Iron and on um, uh, what did they end up calling it? Um, It was the last season of Avengers Assemble, also known as Black Panther's Quest. Um, So, yeah,
0: that's excellent. And you've been writing for the uh, Virtual Nebula Awards two years running, right?
1: Yep. Virtual Nebula Awards ceremony, head writer. We just had, uh, we just had this year's ceremony. It went very well. Uh, and also the Lizzie Bennet diaries, uh, not genre, but, uh, known to people on the internet.
0: Oh, that's right. That's your, your Emmy that you don't own, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I am glad you're here today because it's lovely to talk to you always, but... Um, it's great to be here. <laughs> it's, it's... I wanted to talk about Hollywood and how Hollywood's doing because of the pandemic. We've talked a lot on this show about publishing and the things that have slowed down and the things that have picked up and the things that were unexpected, but uh, I don't know what's going on in the script writing world and the production world, so I wanted to ask you about that wow lord
1: knows what's going on in the production world and the script writing world no it's it's weird and i feel like saying the industry is in this strange sort of flux like since i came to los angeles every year every season it's like you know you're trying to get work you're trying to figure out and you run into somebody who's working in the industry it's like oh everything's weird right now and you know after doing this long enough it's like everything is kind of weird constantly, um, which is both frustrating because, you know, when you think you have something that's going to work or you think you know how the industry is working or what's likely to be, you know, moving ahead or hot and fresh and exciting and then it changes. On the other hand, it's that sort of um, from chaos comes opportunities. Mm-hmm. Sort of, uh, sort of mindset. Like when I was doing the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, it was, we hit it just the right moment as far as scripted short form video content. Um, you're starting to get web series and you're starting to get web series that had a lot of money put into them. Like when Lizzie Bennett was up for awards, we were always, um, in our category, it would be like us, you know, H plus the digital series and halo forward unto dawn. Um, which I, they always said the whole name. And so I always refer to it the full name because it abuses me. Um, And so there's a lot of, you know, red versus blue was a big thing at Mm -hmm. the time. And so a lot of gamer oriented and sort of for things that trended towards the assumption that anyone looking at video online was a white has sits dude who was super into video games. Yeah. Uh, And that was certainly an audience, but in term, but they weren't the only people watching YouTube at the time or ever. And so But in terms of content geared for a female audience, you had a lot of makeup tutorials or like haul videos, or this is what I found out shopping, um, putting on an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, um, like, sort of, especially because we had the tie into, you know, one of our original producers was Hank Green of the Vlogbrothers. And so, you know, he puts up a video that says, hey, I'm trying out this weird new project. You should check it out. And we were getting 60,000 views per episode. Wow. From Jump. Um, and they stuck with us, which, you know, I like to think they wouldn't have done if it hadn't been a quality show that they found when they tried us out. But yeah, it was, it was the right people working on the right project at the right moment. I think if we were to try to launch Lizzie Bennett today, even if the literary inspired web series wasn't a, you know, now an established genre, it'd be a lot harder to do just because the ecosystem and the viewership has changed so much. So that was a very long answer that I'm not sure actually responded to your <laughs>
0: question
1: about Hollywood. But, you know, But things are in flux the way we have so many more streaming platforms coming in Mm -hmm. and creating uh, their own original content. And what does that mean for writers? And this is something that a lot of the unions are struggling with, whether it's um, the Writers Guild, who represents live action writers, or the Animation Guild, which represents, in addition to animators, writers of animated series. So, yeah, there's just, you know, the big mergers that are going down. Um, Amazon acquiring MGM. It's like, what is that going to mean for things? You know, Disney owning everything. Yeah. It changes a lot. Yeah.
0: So um, I am taking a class in. uh, First, I took a class with Brent Forrester about comedy and I enjoyed it. So now I'm taking his on uh, using six weeks to write a pilot script. And okay, cool. And I just, cool. just want to get my... I, I want to get my feeling confident about script writing, not necessarily working for television, just, uh, you know, I've done audio dramas before. I'm streaming. I'm trying to think of what I can do with all of this. I'm not actually thinking I'm going to go send a pilot to Hollywood. But um, I was chatting with uh, his assistant who was, who was sending the, uh, list of writing fellowships out to everybody on in, in the class. And I thought, you know, my little ambitious brain went, Ooh, I should try for that. And then I thought I live in North Carolina and I'm not moving so why and then i asked him is there any reason for anybody from north carolina to try for this and he's like well with covid a lot of things are still virtual so you actually might benefit from that which sort of blew my mind and made me start thinking a little differently about stuff um how how do you how do you weigh in on that
1: yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a lot of of heated discussion in screenwriter communities right now, especially among TV writers of it's like I can't wait to go back to live in person rooms. Of course we'll go back to live in person rooms and I think a lot of shows will because there is an advantage to that. But in animation ran things a lot more like we, or frequently runs things, a lot more like we ran them on book burners. You get everybody together for a couple of days and then send everyone home with a story premise and they turn in an outline and you go through that process remotely and you can do that from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I literally emailed in Barbie outlines from a cruise ship in the Baltic one year. Um, <laughs> which that nine hour time difference was glorious because I could turn it in and know that I wasn't going to hear anything back from anybody until after dinner. And I had like the whole day because no one was awake in Los Angeles yet. Excellent. Um, So I think it does introduce a lot of flexibility, even for live action shows Um, production was very slowed, if not stopped by COVID, but a lot of shows, you know, they wrote, a next season worth of scripts because you could just have your writers call in on Zoom. And that is absolutely changing things. And even people who have moved out to Hollywood, I know people who are like, well, if I don't have to be here all the time, why would I pay LA property prices or rental or what have you when I could live? Closer to home, and maybe have grandparents around to help with childcare, mm-hmm. um, which is a huge thing, especially for women in the industry yeah. of, you know, because yeah. sexism. Yay. Uh, yay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, um, I've had people ask, I, I got, You know, forever ago, I got laid off from a job. But was was told that if I go to San Francisco to and work at the home office, you know, they'll relocate me, and I could work in San Francisco. And I'm like, no. And they said, why not? And I said, I have a four bedroom house, (laughs) and you know, a quarter acre of land, and I can afford it. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. Durham is not as sexy as San Francisco or LA, but it certainly got its perks. And yeah, well, uh, and
1: yeah. it's also Raleigh Durham is a hardly, you know, the the rural sticks. I mean, you no, have a major university, yes. you know,
0: airports, all the modern conveniences. That's true. I do take for granted the fact that I live about a 10 minute drive from the airport and I'm not on a flight path. So occasionally we'll get Apache helicopters overhead, but that's about. The worst it is so yeah the idea of getting up like hours before your flight and driving a long way to go to the airport is just who would do that it's it's, sometimes i'm very single-minded it's embarrassing Um, it's right there and you have a delightful airport that i spent many hours in
1: (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if i call it delightful but okay I mean, that's... at least when I was there there was a used bookstore and you know oh, plenty of yeah. long terminals to walk up and down.
0: Yeah, I don't know about the bookstore. Yeah, I think they they got rid of that. They might have put in another one, but I can't I can't remember. I know the bookstore that was you might be referring to is gone. oh,
1: Kinda sad. That's sad. The idea of finishing your book on the plane and just like mm-hmm. selling it to somebody on your way to baggage was always charming to me.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, checking back in with chat We have Under Pope made it um, Welcome, glad your meeting's over And the kids are asleep Says we definitely moved to Georgia for free family child care It's been a huge deal for us Interesting And yes. yeah, it, it was a, it, I haven't gone far from home But my mother did move about 30 minutes away from me Which helped out a lot when my daughter was very young um, yeah. Hey Devo Spice, good to see you So, um What else did we say we were going to talk about? What other ditch digging stuff is going on? You know, people are going to ask, so I'm sorry if you get sick of the question, but you know they're going to ask. Um, How would you suggest somebody, especially now, get into your job? All right, let's see. To get into my job. um, Not take your job specifically. We all want you to keep working.
1: No, no, no. I, I understand it, it. was not taken as okay. such, but like how to get into the field. Yes. Um, it's, I, I'm going to tell an anecdote, which oh, you've please. met me. So you're unsurprised by this. <laughs>
0: um,
1: no, when I was, cause I moved out to my path is step one was I moved out to Los Angeles to go to graduate school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I did the master's in screenwriting at USC Um, and part, you know, brief digression in terms of screenwriting education, because this is not a job that you need a university degree to do. Um, you, you you need to be able to do the job. There's no credential that is required. Um, but for me, the advantage to film school was like when I applied and got in, I'm like, well, at least an admissions committee thinks that I might be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, and because I knew I wanted to work in television and TV even more than film, especially at the time, step one, live in Los Angeles. And I'm like, well, I do the program. I'll move out to L.A. and I'll meet 31 other people that I have at least one thing in common with. And that's the beginning of having a new friend group in a new city. Mm-hmm. Um Because after I graduated from college, I moved to Boston and discovered that I knew my roommate. And, you know, I was working a couple of jobs, but I wasn't really meeting a lot of peers at those jobs. Right. So I'm like, okay, well, that will be the beginning of a friend group. And for the next two, two and a half years that I'm doing the program, then I am basically paying for writing to be my job. Um, it's giving me deadlines and feedback and Mm -hmm. practice reading other people's stuff and giving them good notes, um, and then incorporating their feedback into my own work. And that's the bedrock of what the screenwriter's job is when you get down to it. So that was sort of my reasoning behind Doing the program, I also wound up making connections while I was there that were very useful to me professionally. Um, but it is very much a a who you know kind of uh, a who you know kind of business. And although everybody has a different answer to the how did you get started in the yeah. business question many, many times it boils down to, well, I had met this person and they had an opportunity or they had a need and I was able to help them fill that need. Um, Which, which sounds very mercenary. It's, I tell people, people complain about nepotism in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Um, There is more cronyism than there is nepotism. And I mean, though nepotism is a thing, but like, who your uncle is is not something you could really control at this point in your life. Um, if if there was a chance for that, it, it has passed us by. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can meet people. Um, my showrunner on the middleman who, that was my first job in television, but he came and gave a lecture at USC. He'd also done the program and was an alum and he came and talked and he was like, it's like, ah, this, this is somebody who is, As into the kinds of things that I am into as I am. Um, And so when we were getting out, they had a mentorship program. It's like, is there anybody you would like to be a mentor? And I put him at the top of my list. Because, like, for the program, they agree to meet you for lunch and then be available by phone for the next year. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, if this is the most awkward lunch in the history of awkward lunches, there'll be this weird pause in conversation. I'll say, so what was your favorite season of Deep Space Nine? (laughs) And that'll keep both of us going for a good two hours, and neither one of us will consider it a wasted afternoon. Exactly. Um, And that was sort of the the best piece of networking advice that I sort of stumbled into, which is network with people you'd want to hang out with anyway, because that way, even if nothing comes to it professionally, you're spending time with people you enjoy spending time with. Yeah. And, and also most people can tell if you're only hanging out with them because you want something from them. Yeah. And that doesn't give most people a good
0: feeling. So yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, go on. I think a lot of people have taken the word networking and thought it and take it as something mercenary. But, um, I remember when I was, uh, when I heard about the famous writers that would hang out together, like Hemingway and Gertrude Stein and that group, um, I always thought like, how did they, like how did they find each other, or how did they know, or... I just, I couldn't imagine how they all got together. And now that I'm a writer, I know. Granted, there probably was a science fiction convention that Hemingway and Stein both went to, but right. it's like I have gravitated towards other writers because we talk about a lot of the same stuff. And then, you know, you're lucky enough to get onto a project like we were on and mm-hmm. meet other people and... um. Just the act of being friendly and kind. And even if you don't like somebody, you can be friendly and kind to them in passing. And Mm -hmm. you don't have to spend time with them. But uh, it might still... It's... Yeah, I had a... um... On my other show, when I was doing interviews, I would always ask somebody what they... uh what they tell a new writer. And James Maxey said something that surprised me, which was always be kind because you Mm. don't know where it, where you're going to be in 10 years or where they're going to be in 10 years and whether you can help anybody out. Now granted, I think people who are already kind would do that. And the people who would not think to be kind would not use use that advice. (laughs) So they would just ignore it. But really it's, it's as you, go further in and find people who are your peers or uh, can help you out a little bit above you in the the ladder. Um, that is sort of organic networking, and it's not a mercenary thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, like, circling back to book burners, I didn't take that job in order to network with fiction writers. But yeah. meeting you guys, I mean that was really one of those life-changing jobs, because meeting you and Max and Brian and Andrea, you know, introduced me to this wider sphere of the prose, science fiction, fantasy community that I sort of like, w- was sort of, you know, kind of, kind of parallel universe adjacent to before. And this was the, it's like, oh no, she's cool. We know her, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and now that you're involved up- with sifwa helping them out. Indeed, indeed. So this is what happens. Take a job and it leads to volunteerism. But, uh, <laughs> but no, but the, the gang of the judges, the, uh, our, our team that does the award ceremony is a ton of fun. So yeah, it's great.
0: That's good.
1: Um... And as I'm sure Kat mentioned when she was on, because um, I know that this is one of the things she, you know, harps on regularly is like, volunteering with professional organizations is a great way to meet people and expand
0: your base and make friends. It is. It it definitely is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm often overwhelmed and the idea of like volunteering at a con, it's like cons are already enough for me, but I know people who do a lot of volunteering, but, uh,
1: well, you you do programming at cons, which is also
0: volunteering that at the con in its own way. true. But I have wanted to help out SIFWA, so I should ne- think about that as things uh, pick back up. Um, yep, yep. We're having people having technical difficulties with their name on Twitch. Weird. I'm sorry, folks. Um, and I'm also sorry, again, if you are if you just got here, that, that the... Uh, in trying to fix my bot problem, I made things worse. So Evil Merbot is going to say, I don't know what, in the next hour or something. So, uh, no, it's- Numbers Ninja, the bot problems were there yesterday when I tried to reprogram them. It's just I ran out of time, so I couldn't fix them. Uh, I know,
1: it, it sort of feels like a performance art thing at this
0: point. That's I'm enjoying right. the, the meta you know, target URL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to actually do something with that variable, not just show us the variable.
1: Yeah. It's like, use your own green screen.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so what do you see happening with... Um, script writing and like audio dramas is becoming a bigger and bigger thing with podcasting. Are you seeing, would you say those are opportunities or are people still doing those as labors of love the way I have been doing or are there production companies that you know of uh, going that route?
1: Oh, I think there are absolutely opportunities. In fact, one of the projects I have in development right now is a, uh, it's a scripted audio drama slash narrative podcast, like whatever we're calling it this week. But it's, you know, a lot of those, you know, I don't know for sure, but like Disney, Warner Brothers, any of those sort of big companies, um, you know, they have digital arms and one of they have digital arms, which you know, as opposed to the analog arms that the rest of us have. Um, but they, they have departments and divisions that you know are doing you know the same way with the video and vlog or YouTube, you know, Twitch, um, TikTok sort of sphere. Like they're also looking at like, well, what can we do in in the audio thing? So yeah, absolutely. I. When I was re-reached out to me about this thing and I'm talking to the manager and he's like, is, is this just going to be a weird distraction from things I want to do? It's like, no, no, they have actual money for this. Mm -hmm. Um, which is not, you know, is not the sole decider on whether or not I decide to pursue something, but it is something as a professional you have to weigh in. Like what, what is the time opportunity cost ratio is the time I spend this likely to result in a payout that, you know, I, could have been spending the time doing something more likely um, to allow me to continue to pay my rent.
0: So, so Margaret, this is ditch diggers. That's that's exactly what we talk about here. <laughs> so no one's going to put you down for wanting to work and make money doing so. And if they do, they're they're listening to the wrong show because uh, that's exactly it. You you are a professional and you get paid for this, and so if a job comes around that is more of a labor of love and doesn't pay, you really have to make a hard decision about how much do you love it. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah. is it is it an exciting resume line? Is it something that's gonna pave the way for other opportunities? Is it just so shiny you can't let it go? And and yeah, there's, there's a lot, of, that calculus is, it's great to be in a point where you are doing that calculus, but it can be really hard to do, especially yeah. if there's like, you know, as the financial squeeze tends to come and go in this industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, I did a Star Wars story for charity and uh, did that for free, which led to more Star Wars work, which was great. But Mm -hmm. that's like the only time I have written for absolutely no money in a while, Uh, unless it's something that I'm putting out myself. Uh, We do have a question in chat from Will. Um, I applied to Universal Screenwriting and Animation Mentor Program. Got down to the last five, but wasn't chosen. The head of the program really liked my script and said I should reapply or start pitching. I guess my question is, where do you find open call for pitches?
1: That is one. Will, congratulations. That is huge. I I know how frustrating it is to get into that top five and not nail the brass ring. So, like, I, I send all sympathies to those frustrations, but you know, not, not projecting my own issues onto you here or anything. Well, um, cause, cause that's never happened to me.
0: Uh, they're there. It's okay. This week. Um, <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> I'm so sorry,
1: but, but yeah, so I think, Often for me, um, don't let the, it's like, ah, so close blind you from so close. That is fantastic to be in that top five. I'm not familiar with the universal, uh, animation writing program in particular, but I am, I'm going to, uh, to wager. They had probably multiple thousands of people applying, it, you know, I would say thousand at the low end. And so, and the head of the program really likes your script and that is nothing to sneeze at. Um, Javier Garcia marx who eventually hired me on the middleman. Um, I met him as I was graduating. He was my mentor like four and a half years later the middleman became a show and he sold it and was like, let me bring you on and we'll give you a, we'll get you a freelance script. And that was my first drill really is step in. So like, you never know how these things are going to play out, um, where to find open calls for pitches. Let's see. This is a little bit of, I am giving you my best guess. Cause this is not something I have, personally had to do or done research into. But what I would do is look at the companies that are doing animated projects, especially animated projects that you're, you know, that appeal to you. So I know Nickelodeon has various programs, Disney Animation, Warner Brothers Animation. I think DreamWorks Animation may still have their own thing. Companies like Titmouse, I have no idea if they have their own program, but I know they do a lot of work in this town. Seek out those companies that are doing those kinds of things. See if they have any kind of program similar to the universal program that you might want to apply to or try to take advantage of. Um, Or just start looking for You know, and doing it in a professional way, you're not making a pest of yourself, but look for people at those companies that are working in development or doing what have you. And it costs you nothing to send a cold email or to reach out and say, Hey, I did really well in the universal mentorship program. I'm looking for advice in getting into this industry. Um, And the worst they can do is ignore your email. Um, 90% of the time, probably yes. But also in my experience, animation is a smaller and lower stakes world than live action. Um, Probably because the money and perceived prestige in the industry is less, and so it lowers the stakes. And people do tend to be friendly and inclusive. Um, the animation Guild, the writers subcommittee does, um, does outreach and education. And I think they've been, they've been having during the pandemic, these sort of zoom fireside chats and these may be available for viewing just to the general public, not, um, you don't have to be a member. I'm not sure about that, but that would be another thing to, uh, to look for. Um, so yeah, I hope that helps.
0: Yeah. Um, well, if you want, um, ping me offline and I can get you the fellowship information that, um, I got from my screen write, Screenwriting class. Um, cause that's another way you can, uh, send some, at least be sending a script to someone who may care. Um, or make Well And major. also,
1: yeah. And the other thing absolutely is start working on your next original so you can send it back to universal next year because they know you and they like you and you'll be coming in as a known quantity this year.
0: Yes. That's a very good point.
1: Yeah. the The default answer is always start working on your next piece of new material.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So as the pandemic winds down, we hope, um, are you finding work is picking up for you or did you have steady work while, since you can write alone in your home or uh, what's going on with that? Yeah, it's, I
1: think, and this is very anecdotal. Personally, I worked a lot last year um, on both animated and live action projects. Um, and also development was very active last year because executives, all they could do was develop material. Like, you know, you couldn't go to set, you probably didn't have anything moving forward in the pipeline. So, um, and by the way, if I'm throwing out jargon, that doesn't make sense to, uh, to humor or to anybody in the chat, feel free to send up a flag and ask for a definition. And I'm more than happy to, uh, to parse and paraphrase. Great. Thank you. Um, but. All they could do was, you know, commission scripts and develop ideas and try to, you know, look at their own IP libraries and see what can we do with this. Um, so what I've been hearing from writing friends is that this year is much leaner in some ways than last year. Wow! Because production is finally kicking into gear, but they've got all of this stockpiled scripts, all gotcha. of these stockpiled strips from last year. And nothing's been able to move forward in the pipeline. So there's this huge sort of bulb moving moving through and it makes things um, it makes things a little tougher right now. So again, that's anecdotal. I don't know industry-wide numbers are, but my feeling was it's like, you know, there's that sort of it's like, ah, writers are still working this year. It's like, yeah, anything that hits the industry, like, you know, it's the wave. It hits different places at different
0: times, but we're all part of the same ecosystem. It hits everybody eventually. Right. Um, Valerie, I'll get to your question in a second, but I want to um, ask Margaret something, except it keeps leaving my head. What the hell is wrong with me? I had a thought. No. Um, crap, I'm sorry. We'll go ahead and, and, and we'll do the Kids Are Asleep question, and hopefully I will figure out what in the world was going on in my head. The Kids Are Asleep says, with MK Jemison getting contracted to adapt her own work, do you think it's worth it for other prose writers to try to do that on spec, or is it better to write an original script from scratch?
1: Awesome question. And, and a zombie just appeared, and
0: I, yes, I don't I got know Yes, what... I got a Patreon supporter. Thank you for the uh, support
1: that's so exciting. I'm like, is this a sign? Like the zombies are coming for us. Um, I think to answer the kids are asleep's question, I think the most important thing to consider for that question and honestly for as a prose writer, you know, this also pertains to if your work is put out for option or you're trying to get something that you made, made into a TV show or a movie or a video game or something like that. Um, I think the most important question to ask yourself is what you are hoping to get out of, to get out of this process, I guess. So, if um you know for NK Jemison they optioned the books and then in the contract, like I was not privy to any of this, but I assume that it's like somebody had interest in the books, and then they came and she was like, I am I am NK Jemison and I want to write the script and whatever you know credentials and um clout and, and all of that, they were able to negotiate to bring that about, um, as far as writing it for yourself on spec, one reason to do that is, let's see, I'm trying to, to organize because it's, it's a good and complicated question and situation. And I'm trying to to bring forward my thoughts into some kind of order that will make sense to other people. Um, If your goal is to transition into being somebody who writes both prose and um, screenwriting or television writing in Hollywood, I would say it might make more sense to have an original sample that isn't necessarily based on your own work, or, I mean, it's a story, you know, so you're giving yourself a heads up. I don't have, I take it back. I'm not sure that I have a strong opinion about it. If, if you're using it as a transition to a new career, I think either one of them can work or an additional career is probably the better way to think of that. Um, I think Hollywood tends to be a little leery and not without some justification of the prose writer who has written prose and then writes the screen adaptation because this is the only way they would ever want to see this on screen. Yeah. Um, Cause that's not the way the business works. And excellent novelists are not necessarily excellent screenwriters. There's a lot of overlapping skills. And I think that, I think that any experience you have in writing and storytelling is an advantage in any other area of it that you choose to pursue. But that being said, you know, Hollywood is always worried about writers being super precious, whether they are prose writers or
0: not. Um, it's a, well, it's a different and, medium. Yeah. It's it's film is a different medium, stage is a different medium and it's hard mm-hmm. to accept that um because wh- one thing that really got me was <clears throat> excuse me. I I saw the movie Arrival before I read the story. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked to see that what the movie treated as a massive twist was in the first two paragraphs of the short story. Yeah. And I am not saying anything wrong against the short story. It's brilliant. But it's just interesting that that's the way the film, that they wanted to approach it in film, was to portray it, uh, one of the most obvious things, as a twist. And it really worked. And so, you know, things like that are things that... Everything from... the omniscient narrator or even a a, a third person or any point of view narrator can say, oh, there's a thing over there in the corner that's just peeking out. And they, you know, that is something that actually a director and a cinematographer has to think about, not the script writer in a film. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's just, you know, some things that we try to make subtle in uh, one thing that's subtle in a movie might be obvious in a story because the author can describe it in detail if they want. Yeah,
1: it's, I mean, it is partially the screenwriter's job. Um, it's, it's interesting that you brought up Arrival because when I was teaching classes in adaptation and I've done a lot of product projects that were adaptations from one medium into another. So this is something I've given a lot of thought because also it's me, so I think about things a lot. Um, but one of the interesting things about Arrival is I'd have my students watch the movie and then read the story. And we talked about, cause like one of the things I think that uh, the screenwriter Eric Hasserer did that's really, really smart is it's almost a thematic adaptation. Like it is clearly the same story, mm-hmm. but the central conceit that he hangs the film on is entirely different than the one that Ted Chang hands, hangs the story on. Mm-hmm. And they both work, but we talked about things like the fact that in the short story, and is it okay if I spoil the short story here?
0: I, I, I would assume so. Um, right. Well, just spoiler alert. If you're listening. Spoiler later. alert. Yeah.
1: For, for the, for the fiction, for the prose version the daughter dies in a rock climbing accident. And part of the reason why the marriage dissolves is her husband finds out that she knew that their daughter was going to die and she didn't try to stop her. And I'm like, why is it different in the movie? And my students are like, because you would spend the entire film screaming at Amy Adams, not to let her <laughs> child die. Um, You know, there Enough is for like, me.
0: no, you can't go rock climbing.
1: Right. Right. It's, when we're reading the story and we're in the character's head and she talks about how she understands time completely differently and you know, it wasn't something that she can stop because it exists the same way all time exists. And she has a different relationship to time than her partner does. Like you can pull that off in the story because we're in her head. We are experiencing the movie in linear time though. So it's Mm -hmm. like, And you still have this idea that Jeremy Renner is like, how could you have a child knowing that the child is going to die? It still works, but it doesn't turn it into you terrible, terrible person. You didn't tell your daughter not to go rock climbing. Yeah. And so there, there are different things like that. I love in the adaptation of The Martian, I was at a panel one time, and you had um, moderated by Bill Nye, which was just oh, hilarious. Wow. The, the science guy, not the British actor. Um,
0: but he was asking the. Uh oh. I can't hear you, Margaret. I think maybe did you get. Uh... Did your headphones die? Uh oh. Well, while Margaret tries to figure what's out, what's going on, there's, uh, headphones die, give me, say, okay, yeah, that's happened to me before. No problem. I would tell her, but she can't hear me. Uh, one thing that is interesting is the fact that, um, with Jemison and there was also, uh, the guys who do The Expanse also got able to write on their own thing. And it used to be unheard of. And now we have two major science fiction folks, uh, who are, um, who are, who are adapting their own stuff. And I just want to know how in the world that happened. Don't know how, but, uh, it, it certainly makes you think. Um, but I finally remembered what I was going to ask, ask Margaret. So, uh, yeah, they're big names and hugely talented. Yeah, but, you know, I don't know if Stephen King has ever written his own movies. And, uh, yeah. Margaret, are you set? No? Okay. Um. Hello? Yes, we hear you. Okay. We hear I've
1: taken the, uh, the expedient solution of just using the laptop speaker and microphone. Okay, awesome. Uh, so hopefully this will not lead to uh, to anything too weird in the feedback uh, realm.
0: I don't think so. But, um, no.
1: But I think one of the fun things about adaptation is you're almost, I feel like we're becoming more open to seeing it as being in conversation with the original, not um, take, you know, I always try to impress upon my student, like the goal of adaptation shouldn't be, take the story that's in my head and put it on the screen, because mm-hmm. the story that's on my head is different than the story that's in any other reader's head or any other author's head. Um, and on this panel, Bill Nye was asking Drew Goddard, the screenwriter, he's like, look, this is a, huge, thick book. You look at the book next to the printed screenplay. The screenplay has many fewer pages and many fewer words on those pages. How did you decide what to keep from the book and what you could excise? And Drew, I thought, gave a really smart answer. He said, I read the book and to me, this was a story about smart people helping each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when I looked at the book, anything that wasn't about that, I knew I could cut it out without damaging the core of the story. Interesting. Yeah, and I think you can debate whether Andy Weir wrote a book, you know, he sat down and was like, I'm gonna write a book about smart people helping each other. But it was definitely a theme that emerged and that was the one that really resonated with Drew. And so that's how you get Um, And that's how he crafted that story and why you could cut out the subplot of the dust storm on his way to the new launch site because he was out of communication Mm -hmm. and it was no longer about smart people helping each other. Like once Matt Damon is back in touch with NASA, he never loses touch with them again because, you know, it's not about this guy being super smart and, you know, MacGyvering his way off Mars. It's about smart people helping each other. Um, that is really interesting. And that I thought was was really was really interesting. I think having you know, I think also you're seeing more people adapt their own work just because it's getting more permeable um between people who work in film and people who work in television, between people who work in pros versus tv versus screen versus video games versus um versus comics you know one of the side effects of the fact that i suspect it's it's harder to make a living doing one thing is you get many people doing multiple things yeah um and that tends to make it easier for once one person has done it it's easier for other people to cross over right and and to briefly amend what i said earlier about you know everyone is leery about the person who's written the screenplay and because this is the only way I would ever want to see my story on screen. I also just want to say that's okay if you feel that way about your story or about screen adaptations of your story. Just know that about yourself. And, you know, know that the effect of that is either you know, that you don't want to option it to just anybody or to anybody, or that the only way that you would want to see a movie version is if you've written, directed, and produced it yourself. Yeah. Um, Yeah. People, I think people run into unhappiness when it's like, no, there's this thing that is super, super important to me, but I'm going to pretend it's not so that the project will move ahead. And then the project moves ahead. And the thing that's super, super important to you doesn't, you know, isn't being addressed or treated the way you want it to be. Um, I I was talking to, uh, to, I think, Cameron, one of our mutual friends about it, the whole thing about being a screenwriter and working in adaptation, and working with prose authors, and I have great relationships with some of the authors that whose work I've adapted, and it, it all comes down to communication. But also the idea of like, look, you have to keep in mind your screenwriter is getting notes from everybody if if you have a note that really matters give it and give it early if there is you know the thing that is absolutely precious to you let someone who is adapting your work know this is a hill i really need you to die on for me Mm -hmm. the other stuff that you can let go you your best friend to just be like oh that's so cool i didn't think of doing that you know But again, be honest with yourself. If you're not actually cool with something, then pretending to be cool with it.
0: Yeah, I remember watching- it's not um, something
1: you're ever gonna get over, Yeah, then you're not doing yourself or anybody else any
0: favors. I was watching uh, the movie Fight Club with commentary over it, um, and Mm -hmm. they'd had Chuck Palahniuk in. And there's a scene that's not in the book and he is just like, this is so cool. I wish I'd use this. This is a perfect scene. And, and just, like, really expressing uh, admiration that they, they'd seen the movie in that way. Um, I think another thing that authors don't get, and may, if you do want to start doing your own screenplays, you have to understand, is that you have you writing the book, and then you've got maybe your editor or agent's input. With screenwriting, there are a lot of people with their fingers in the pie. And <sighs> the author, the actor is going to have their interpretation of the role they're playing. And the director, of course, is going to have their interpretation. And it's going to be the you know, people who are in charge of what it looks like and what it sounds like. And, um, you know, whereas when you're writing a book, you have control over all of that. And, uh That was something that we had to do in our writer's room. We we weren't doing scripts, but we were creating a story with a bunch of other people. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, a sort of, it was a different experience for me, but really good. Uh, But I did remember what I wanted to ask you. Okay. So, um, one thing that baffles me is the fact that Hollywood just seems to throw around money. Like, almost literally, just like, have some money. And, um... I, I don't want to say how much I've made in options for something that has never been created. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's a strong five figures over, like, the past decade. Yeah. Um, and nothing's been made. they just like, here, Mer, have some money. We'll say we have... And, and they don't even say it out loud. It's just like a secret... <laughs> it's bizarre. and But what gets me is every time I feel bad about a missed opportunity or something I screwed up that could reflect on my career, I think about, say, writers in Hollywood or the woman who played Ross Geller's wife in the pilot of Friends who never came back in this massive hit of the 90s. Yeah. And I, it's like any disappointment I feel on losing an opportunity, like I don't know her story. Maybe she didn't want it. Maybe she wasn't available or whatever. But I mean, it seems like when things go wrong, like there's so much money being thrown around, but when things go wrong, it's like you've worked for... Days or months on a project and it never happens. How do you strengthen yourself against that? Because, like, <laughs> authors cry over much less problems than that. Okay. <laughs> oh man, no! It's uh... I, I know of at least one sore point I'm hitting with you. I'm not gonna say what because I don't I don't know how how public things are, but I do know you 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 mentioned years ago that you were working on something that hasn't happened. So I'm assuming that you might be thinking of that. It's, no, it it is that weird kind of, and I think you
1: were the one who first told me the anecdote about the author, and I don't remember his name, who, or he was, he worked in TV, I think. I know what you're talking then, about, yeah. And then he wrote a book, and he kept expecting them to cancel the book. Yeah. Because at every stage, things can collapse. I met with a showrunner about a TV show and it was a really great meeting. I mean, and it being a really great meeting doesn't necessarily mean anything, but he's like, have you met with the studio yet? And I'm like, not yet. He's like, let me make phone calls to make that happen. 24 hours later, I was in meeting with the current executive at the studio who is in charge of the show and it's like, oh, this could, and that meeting went really well. And at that point it's like, okay, this is like all the things are aligning. My, my manager had gotten the call saying it's like, all right, you know, we are intending to make her an offer. We're just, you know, waiting for X or Y or Z. The show was greenlit. It was going ahead and it lost its green light. It's like the number of ways I've found to almost be on a show and that then the show finds a way to collapse yeah is insane. And the, you know, sort of where this started with those those sunk costs in development are, they're sort of immense, but you have to put everything into scale. Um, Guild minimum for a one hour episode of television, and it varies whether you're writing it for one of the broadcast networks or a cable network or a streaming outlet, but let's say for for ballpark figures um, it's about $40,000 to write a outline and script and, you know, and all your drafts of one episode of television. So in today's, you know, shorter orders, you might do 10 or 12 of those for a season. As far putting one episode into production, especially if a prestige show, even a not so prestige show is more than a million dollars per episode. Wow. That forty thousand dollars is a drop in the bucket. We're seeing studios who like, well, we may as well go ahead and order next season scripts, even if we haven't, you know, if we haven't aired the first season yet. Cause if it does well then we're ready to go and we can put season two into production right away. And if not, it's, it's half a million dollars. And that is in the realm of these budgets, so little money that, you know, that that's part of their R and D investments basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the film side, it used to be that studios would like you know, now it's become tighter because of, you know, vertical integration and, and a bunch of other things. But like on the feature side, their research and development was, you know, buying spec scripts and hiring writers, maybe writers who didn't have a lot of credits or who were at the beginning of their career to sort of like, you know, it's like, oh, we've got this idea and you would assign it to a writer and maybe it would get made into a film and maybe it wouldn't. But the cost of a script and a rewrite or a script and a couple of rewrites, so low compared to actually putting the thing into production you know it's okay to develop 10 scripts knowing you're only going to produce one or two of them um so yeah yeah. i think that's where that kind of like you know throwing you ten thousand dollars to option your story for a year you're like yeah well that that's money it's like but to
0: them it's not a lot of money no um So you could conceivably have a quote unquote career writing scripts and never actually have anything you write end up on the screen. There
1: was, um, there was a piece when I think I was an undergrad and this changes like the way the industry changes. Like, I don't think you could do this now, but when I was an undergrad, there was this article published about this guy who he did, he had written a spec it had gotten a lot, a spec feature that he just written on his own. It got a lot of attention in Hollywood. It got him an agent, you know. And he started getting hired to do a lot of rewrite and kind of script doctor work. And he made good money doing it, but no movie that he worked on had his name on it because he was coming in as a subsequent writer. And the way that credit um, provisions are set up in the Writers Guild they, they heavily favor the first writer for mm-hmm. for good reasons um, but you know the spec script that he'd sold that had people so excited about you know it never got made it's he made a really good living at the time like I mean we're, we're talking this guy was making millions but had never seen like that creative, impulse like his work was never on screen like he was all doing this kind of work for hire sort of stuff right um i know people and again like i don't think you could do that now because there's not as much money in screenplay development as there used to be um because somebody looked at the numbers like we're spending a lot of money on scripts that never get made into movies why would we do that and it's like because you're teaching people how to be screenwriters basically that, yeah. this, this is your farm team that's why you put money into it right Um, you know, there are people who every year they write and sell a pilot script, um, and the show doesn't get made. It doesn't get picked up. Maybe it goes to pilot and it doesn't go to series, but you could make a good living selling a pilot every year Mm -hmm. and never see something, make it to the screen. It's one of the. One of the things, like for me during the pandemic, I've gotten back into doing more work in fiction. And part of the appeal of that is I write a short story, and especially in short fiction markets, like someone's going to buy it or they're not. But I get to decide when it's over, when it is what I want it to be. Like that fills the creative impulse. And then... When I'm freelancing for somebody else's series and the thing comes back, it's like, oh, we need to change the B plot because of you know X Y Z, and be like, okay, not a problem, um, because I'm not I'm not asking that job to you know portray my artistic you know dreams to the world like you know my my sweet little bird of my heart yeah um, can be in other things and not that I'm phoning it in on On a freelance script that I'm doing, you know I'm doing the best most professional work I can do. I'm putting in you know the little things but also I'm writing to somebody else's voice and somebody else's vision you know right. on a show it's my job to write a script that my boss would write and maybe you know maybe bring some things that they wouldn't have thought of but really like. Um, but it's not my job to reform the show in my image
0: right. We have uh, I have taken a great deal of your time here, but this is this is awesome information. I I (laughs) taught you. If you have any further questions for Margaret, please put them in the chat. But as for now, uh, can you tell us if we want to see your work, what's the best place to look right now?
1: Uh best place to look right now is uh always welcome to check out Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, even though they did not pick us up for a second season. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but you can yeah, if you wanna know about Hollywood, we won an Emmy Award for that show and the next day they announced there would not be a season two. Oh so. god. So figure. Um, No, but you can find me on the web. I am on Twitter as at Spyscribe, where, among other things, I chronicle the Duolingo Hebrew dystopia, Um, (laughs) because when you're doing Hebrew on Duolingo, they teach you such great phrases as he is sad, because his duck is not popular. (laughs) Um, Or our car exploded two days ago. We consulted with a lawyer who told us to run
0: away. Um, wow. It sounds like Duolingo's is being uh, run by the the AI that Janelle Shane does on the AI weirdness blog. It's, it took a very
1: dark turn. Um, I've been doing music lately. So today's sentence was the band has four drummers. um which is either very dark or awesome depending on your feelings about such things uh you can also find me on the web at margaretdunlap.com. i have links there to my imdb and the twitter and uh goodreads um which has things that i can talk about publicly i don't know um Blade Runner Black Lotus um, should be premiering at some point. I'm still not sure when, but I wrote for that. um, And so look for that on, I believe, Adult Swim in the United States and Crunchyroll elsewhere in the world. Oh, cool.
0: Awesome. Mm. Well, uh, thank you to everybody in chat, Uh, Starry-Eyed Green. I don't think I said hi to you, and I apologize. I'm going to see if there's anybody we can raid real quick. But this has been Ditch Diggers. That is so much money. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yes, that is so much money. Um, But yeah, this is uh, Ditch Diggers. And if you want to learn more about me, you can go to merverse.com or email me at mightymer at gmail.com. Hopefully by the next podcast, I'll have the bots fixed. We'll see. It's it's always an adventure. But we're going to go check out uh, Space Valkyries is playing Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake. So we're going to go check her out. Um, in the raid, please say uh, hashtag Mer raid and throw in your emotes if you're a subscriber. And thank you to Numbers Ninja for the uh, moderating. And probably dog wrangling because the dog started to bark and then she stopped. So I'm going to credit that to Numbers Ninja. And, uh, did I spell that right? I think so. Okay. Oh, a short story coming out in the Deadlands this winter. That's awesome. Yay! Oh, thank you for the host, The Writhing Tides. Um, so yeah, we're gonna go raid Space Valkyries. And, uh, I will be back in a couple of hours, actually, to play, uh, Stardew Valley, probably. Um... So uh, if you're bored this afternoon, check me out in a couple of hours. Margaret, thank you so much for, for coming on and replacing Matt and telling us how Hollywood is doing. I, I can fill, fill Matt's window on the screen, but I could never replace him.
1: <laughs> thank you for having me.
0: You can support us at patreon.com slash Ditch Diggers! Theme song by Devo Spice devospice.com